Executives at Disney are deeply puzzled over why yet another of their big-budget franchise films has flopped at the box office. No one has yet been able to discover the reason for last weekend's utter failure of Girl Boss Marvels 2, this time we're in your face, Penis Man, starring much-in-demand actress Shrilly Crocall and some black girl and a Hispanic girl, no one really cares which, least of all the people who hired them. Made at a cost of over $200 million, the movie had an opening weekend reminiscent of a bad day in Nagasaki, earning approximately $17.35, but only after studio heads collected and redeemed the soda cans that had been thrown at the screen by people on their way to see something more entertaining, like bread mold, or that crazy guy outside the theater who's catatonic for half an hour at a time and then suddenly starts shrieking incomprehensible nonsense and then drops his pants and plants crap in front of everyone, So he's kind of like a Disney film, except you can watch him for free. Until Disney execs can figure out what is going wrong, they've decided to suspend the release of other big-budget Marvel pictures starring promising new superheroes like Captain Groomer and Iron Pants. Even a live-action remake of a beloved cartoon classic, Snow Brown and the Seven Ambiguously Handicapped and Excluded Persons of Color, originally scheduled for Christmas release, was sent back into production after the star, Rachel Harridan, gave a promotional interview that was not as well-received as the studio had hoped. Ms. Harridan told reporters, quote, This is not going to be a film for people who like snow whiteness or think singing dwarves are somehow charming or who want to see some creep sneak up and kiss a sleeping girl without first getting her consent. If that's your idea of fun, we're going to shove this remake down your throat until you choke on it. And if you're not willing to pay $20 a ticket for that experience, we will publicly call you out for your bigotry, unquote. Studio PR executives are still wondering whether perhaps they should have tweaked that message to reach a wider audience. In an interview with showbiz trade paper Variety, the formerly male Disney studio head now identifying as Melissa Wingwang, whose pronouns are Z, Zer, Splorg, and would you like to see my puppy little boy, told reporters, quote, We simply can't understand why these movies aren't working. We've done everything we can to take the beloved Christian and patriotic Disney brand and turn it into a tool for querying your children into a life of sexual deviance and moral degradation, and yet for some reason, the audience still doesn't respond. Hopefully, our Thanksgiving release of a live-action Sleeping Beauty done entirely in drag will turn things around, unquote. Disney is not alone in facing baffling rejections from customers. Anheuser-Busch is still puzzling out why their Bud Light brand has taken a nosedive at the market and are hoping to make a comeback with a new slogan, Bud, the uncloseted queen of beers. Gillette is also rejiggering its slogan with new ads declaring Gillette the sleekest, shapeliest legs a man can get. Gillette spokes something or other, Willy Wonty, whose pronouns are a high-pitched wine and something that sounds like a raspberry but smells bad, announced the change at a company's Zoom meeting, saying, quote, Our strategy is to take a product that might appeal to 50% of the public and target it instead to a minuscule but voluble group of sexually anomalous cranks who won't buy it under any circumstances. We don't see what can go wrong, unquote. Although the reasons for the setbacks at these companies remain a mystery for now, one observer, speaking on condition of anonymity, told the Daily Wire, quote, The fact is these companies are doing exactly what they should be doing, and if they stick with it, it's sure to result in billions of dollars in profits. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to get back to work. After all, I am the God King, unquote. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. All right, we are back laughing our way through the fall of the Republic. This is our last show before Thanksgiving. I am thankful for all of you who bought House of Love and Death and put it on the bestseller list. Uh, Please don't stop. If you haven't bought it yet or if you know somebody who might like it, who might like it as a Christmas gift, please go out and buy it. I know the time squelched us and won't put us on their list, uh, but that's okay. That's not the point. Listen, I'm, I'm always torn about this because... I, I, as I keep saying, I'm not a conservative who writes novels. I'm a novelist who happens to have a worldview that you understand. And I, I'm very good at this. I'm telling you to buy it because I think you're really going to love it because I don't think there's anything else out there like it. And you will see why it's so different than the usual stuff you're being fed. And, and so I, I want you to buy it because I know you're going to love it. And I know you know somebody in your home who's going to like it. But I also just want to tell you that 
it, it is an enormously empowering thing for the book to sell as well as it has. It means I can keep doing what I'm doing. It means I can argue and not have to compromise, which I wouldn't do anyway, but I can not compromise and win. And all of that is because of you and because of the book selling as well as it has. Please, if you haven't bought it yet, go out and buy The House of Love and Death. I promise you, you won't be sorry. And if you have friends who like mystery stories or just good novels, uh, please get a copy for them. Also subscribe to YouTube, my personal channel, the Andrew Clavin YouTube channel, where you will get exclusive content that will be uh, shipped to you under the guise of anti-Semitic rants so that the left won't know that you're getting anything untoward. They'll just think you're getting their kind of material, but we'll be giving you exclusive stuff. We also put up uh, the interviews. I do an interview every week, as you know. It goes up on the RSS feed, so you can get it on audio. If you want to watch it on YouTube, you can get it on my channel there, too. Uh, Last week, we had Breitbart's John Nolte talking about the culture war and his book, and this week, we'll be talking to Dr. Miriam Grossman, who is the author of Lost in Transnation. Uh, She was in What is a Woman? Very interesting uh, lady. Uh, And also, of course, if if you subscribe to the Andrew Clavin channel, if you leave a comment on YouTube and that comment is hateful and just despicable and utterly uh, untoward and unrepeatable, we'll repeat it here because that's our material. Today's comment is from Sandra Sandra Summers, sorry, 5975, who says, okay, fine, I'll buy the house in love and death as a reward for your spectacular monologue on the zombie apocalypse. A lot of people wrote and loved that. Uh, And yes, if that causes you to buy the House of Love and Death, it was all worth it. Let's get to today's episode, The China Syndrome. I'm going to be uh, talking about a lot of different things, but one of them is going to be the situation in, in Israel. So let me just say at the top of the show, yes, I do know that The Daily Wire is trending I want you to know that if there was something I could say to you uh, publicly that I thought was beneficial, I would say it, but there's not. So I'm going to practice the spiritual discipline of silence here. Um, And this will be beneficial to you because it will really help you at Thanksgiving dinner with your family to understand the spiritual discipline of silence, to understand uh, that not everything requires your input. And sometimes your brilliant insights are just exactly what no one needs to hear. That's going to improve your relations with your family and give you a much better Thanksgiving. So let's get to chapter one, words, words, words. You know, little things can make a big difference when you sponsor an ultrasound at preborn. Your gift, no matter how small, makes a difference in a big way. Who will this baby become? What life will this baby live? And what about the mother? A small donation of just $28 gives a mother the opportunity to meet her child through ultrasound, which could help double a baby's chance at life. All you have to do is take a few minutes today to make a life-saving donation. Preborn will take it from there. Their network of clinics rescues 200 babies every day. Get involved today by dialing pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby. And go to preborn.com slash Andrew. That's preborn.com slash Andrew. So I gave a speech at the Reagan Ranch in Santa Barbara last weekend. This is where President Reagan used to go to relax. It's such, a, it's such an inspiring place. It's, first of all, it's beautiful. It's in the Santa Barbara Hills, and it's just such a modest place. And, he, you know, he didn't even want to do improvements on it because for his own safety because he didn't want to spend public money on a place that he thought of as his own. Uh, thank you to Andrew Coffin, my friend uh, at YAF, and Governor Scott Walker, who runs YAF. And uh, it just it, it was just really inspiring. And I, it was nice to remember a president who had so much dignity and decency and who stood up to the left with humor and uh, well-crafted policies, which seemed, all of which seems to be a lost art. But it was nice. You can feel his presence there. It was great. Anyway, my speech was called The Tyranny of Bad Ideas, and you can find it online, find it on YouTube. I hope you will. But central to this was an idea we talk about a lot here, uh, that we're at the nadir, we're coming to the bottom of a 500-year-long decline in faith. This is not something that, oh, in the 50s we believed and now we've lost our belief. This is something that's been happening since really the Reformation, the decline in faith. And there have been little glitches in it, like the 1950s when it has spiked up, but the trend has been continually down. Even with people who went to church, they no longer really believe in the supernatural. Uh, they believe in basically in um, 
left-wing bromides or worldly things, uh, fixing the world and all this. They don't, do not believe in the resurrection and the spiritual uh, miraculous and in, in, the, in the supernatural values of things. And they don't believe in an immaterial but ever-present God who, in whose image we are made. And, and there's reasons for this. I mean, it's not, it's not like people are mean or bad. I mean, people are bad, of course, but it's not, that's not why they lost their faith. They lost their faith because, in part, of the scientific and industrial and technological revolutions that give them an emotional feeling that the Bible isn't true, that the, the Bible has been disproved, or somehow our idea of God has been disproved by all these new um, discoveries that make it seem like, well, life just doesn't work the way that the people in the Bible thought it did, which is no doubt true. The people in the Bible lived a long time ago. They didn't know some of the stuff they know. But in fact, science has disproved nothing whatsoever about the Bible. All it has done is given us a different language for understanding the world than the Bible uses. So it's it's like reading the Bible is like reading Shakespeare. Every word that Shakespeare wrote is still true today and relevant today, but his language is Old. It seems archaic and it seems a different world that he's talking about, even though it's the same human nature. So just for instance, to say that someone has a demon inside him and to say he's mentally ill can both be true in different ways and give us partial understanding. Each one gives us partial understanding. But when we hold them both in our head, we get a fuller idea of what is happening. Now, there's a reason that faith, in, there are many reasons that faith in God is important, but it's not it is not so we can condemn other people. It's not so we can tell people, you know, what kind of sex to have or anything like that. Although you may feel like doing that and you may feel that's at the heart of your religion, but that's not what the loss of faith strips from us. And it's certainly not uh, because people go to church and feel they should be good and bad, good little boys and girls, or else they'll go to hell. Uh, I think a lot of conservatives think that faith is good because it's useful. Uh, that's not why I think it's it's useful. I think people should be believe in God for exactly the same reason I think people should believe in gravity. You can't see it, but if you live in the faith that it is there, your life will go much better because it is there. And that's exactly the way I feel about God. You can't, you can't live in reality without understanding God because there is a God. And living in reality improves your life beyond calculation. So in my speech, I talked a lot about um, I've talked about this here many times, I think. There's this scene in Hamlet, uh, which is written in around 1600, the scene in Hamlet where Hamlet pretends to be insane. And I believe that Shakespeare's writing about the loss of faith in Hamlet. And he pretends to be insane, and he starts to say things that predict. They, it's almost like prophecy. They prophesy a lot of the stupid, materialist, atheistic philosophy that is going to rise up over the next 400 years and is bedeviling us today. So Hamlet talks about how morality is relative. And he says, nothing is either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. If you think it's good, it's good. If you think it's bad, it's bad. So when we lose touch with the nature of the creator uh, in whose image we're made, we lose touch with the moral law. And it seems that these laws are just random. They're social constructs as the left would say. We don't believe in our conscience anymore. We think it's just a random kind of piece of evolutionary, you know, an accidental uh, evolutionary development. And we also lose confidence in the human experience. And we say, you know, the things that we experience are not real. They're just the way we feel about them. And that doesn't give them reality. We can completely disavow the things we think. And and Hamlet talks about this in the mad scene where he says, you know, oh, look at how beautiful the, what a piece of work is man. He's like an angel. But when my mood changes, when I become depressed, all he seems like is the quintessence of dust, the highest, uh, the highest evolution of dust, basically. So how does he know whether he is like an angel, which he might believe when he's in a good mood, or he's just dust, which he might believe in his bad mood? How are we supposed to know which is real? But I want to talk about something else that happens in that scene today. Uh, In that scene, Polonius comes up to Hamlet and says, what are you reading? And Hamlet says, words, words, words. And this is the prophecy of the postmodern alienation of language from meaning right? This is the idea that language is kind of random, that it isn't actually attached to any meaning, that the reader and the critic are more important than what is actually trying, what the writer is actually trying to say. It's because we no longer see the image of God in ourselves. We no longer believe that there is a person who was created, who is meant to be here, whose experiences were planned and given to him for a reason. 
so that he could freely choose to draw nearer to God and freely chosen love because we no longer really believe that. We no longer have faith in that, even if we think it's true. Uh, we no longer understand that our words express something that is real, that is coming out of an actual human experience that is meant to be there, that is a created experience. You know, they'll talk about words as if they were random social constructs and we can change the meaning of them. We can change, you know, what is a woman? Who knows what a woman is? We can change the meaning of that word. We can change the meaning of marriage if we want. There's absolutely no price for that because the words are just random. Instead of understanding what is the truth, that words are like flowers that grow out of the soil of the human being. They communicate um, things that we all actually understand, and and they, they're they a rude tool. They don't actually give you that thing. I, but when I say the word woman, I'm not creating a woman, but you know what I mean, because we are both human beings and we were made. We're not just accidental, randomly created things. We are made things who are meant to be able to communicate our meanings. This is why, I've said this before, this is why the comedian uh, George Carlin had a very famous routine that everybody loves, where he talks about how it's absurd it is to ban certain obscenities. And he just repeats the obscenities again and again until they seem to mean nothing. It's a very funny routine, but it's totally wrong. If I can say the word oak tree and you know exactly what I'm talking about, you know I'm not talking about a pine, I'm not talking about an elm, I'm talking about an oak tree. You can understand what I'm saying because we have a meaning that comes out of our our experience of an oak tree. If that oak tree weren't there, we wouldn't need the word, but since it's there, we describe it. Then I can say a four-letter word that debases and denigrates the act of love between a man and a woman, and you can understand that I've denigrated the central creative relationship of human life, and I've degraded women by accepting the idea of sex as an act of power rather than of love. This is why a woman, I think, degrades herself when she says to somebody, F you, uh, because that's an obscene way to look at her uh, sexual role in the creation of human beings and in the act of love. It's an obscene way to look at our lives using words like that. And you can see why we may well agree that in public and on TV, we might say, you know what, let's not use those words out of respect for ourselves. Let's keep in the public sphere. We might, you know, slip and use them in a locker room, but in the public sphere, let's treat ourselves with respect so that we're also respecting the God in whose image we are made. That's not an irrational thing to do at all. Carlin was wrong about this. Once we reconnect language to the human experience, we understand some of the things that we do. We don't make silly, un, you know, unthought-out sentence, uh, unthought-out declarations. Like, for instance, people say, "Well, you don't want to cheat on your wife because that hurts her feelings." Well, no. I mean, as the head of a household, you know, sometimes a husband does have to hurt his wife' feeling in order to do the right thing. She might be unhappy about what his decision he made, but it might be the right thing for him. It might be the right thing for the family. It might just be the right thing, period, and he might have to do it and hurt her feelings. You don't cheat on your wife because she is your wife. That is a word. It has a meaning. It has a definition. And part of that definition is the promise that you make to her in your wedding vows. And you don't break your promises because that's what the word promise means. We understand these things. You don't change the meaning of the word promise because you want to sleep with somebody else. You don't say, well, we said promise. But what promise really means is it means that I said those things, but they don't mean anything. No, we understand what we are talking about. It might have been another word, but that's the word it is. And we all know what it is. And you don't break a promise because that's what a promise is. Just like we know the meaning of the word woman. And we know it's not Richard Levine who calls himself Rachel. Jonathan Haidt, uh, I'm, I'm going to ask him to come on the show uh, because I know someone who knows him, uh, but he's like the evolutionary philosopher. Um, and, and he poses a puzzle in one of his books where he's talking about, you know, where does morality come from? And is it just a random evolutionary thing? And he talks about committing incest, a brother and sister committing incest. What if you both agreed it was a consensual thing? You were of age. You loved each other. You said you're just going to do it once and you're going to make sure there's no baby. Why shouldn't you do it? And people get baffled. They don't know why you should do it. But the reason why you should do it is because that's not what a sister is. That's not what a brother and sister is. You are destroying a primary relationship of human life by violating the confines that define what that is. Everything, you know, this this cup, this computer, they have edges. That's how you can see what they are. And in the same way, a sister and a brother have 
that meaning has a limit and you are violating that limit and violating is very, very destructive psychologically because you know what you're doing. It's the same thing about an abortion when people say, oh, well, you know, if I were plugged, suddenly woke up and I was plugged into somebody on a dialysis machine, wouldn't I be justified in pulling the plug? Yes, because you're not that person's mother. A mother is a specific thing. That baby is your child, your son or your daughter, and you don't kill your son or your daughter because you are a mother. And, and this is, you know, again, this is what Matt Walsh was playing on when he made the film, actually before he made the film, when he was just talking about it, uh, that when he said, what is a woman? We don't really, at the end of that film, Mrs. Walsh, the lovely Mrs. Walsh, you know, says something like, oh, it's a female adult human or something like that. But that's not the real answer. The answer is we know what a woman is. It's a primary word. Some primary words, mother, husband, woman, man, good and evil, don't necessarily have definitions that clarify them. They have meanings that come out of the essential heart of man, that broken mirror in which we see the image of God as through a glass darkly. And if you don't use those words correctly, if you don't know what they are, you lose touch with reality. So what I want to do is talk about some of the things that happened this week and how some on the left and the right, to some degree, have lost the essential spiritual language of life. Now, What makes Beams stand out is its blend of science and nature. Beams Dream Powder contains a powerful, all-natural blend of ingredients, including magnesium L-theanine. It's not just your run-of-the-mill sleep aid. It's a concoction carefully crafted to help you slip into the sweet embrace of rest without the grogginess that often accompanies other sleep remedies. Sleep is the foundation of our mental and physical health and performance. Just look at me. I never sleep. This is what you don't want to be like this. You must have a consistent nighttime routine to function at your best. And today, my listeners get a special discount on Beam's Dream Powder, their best selling hot cocoa for sleep with no added sugar. Now available in delicious flavors like cinnamon cocoa, chocolate peanut butter, and mint chip. Better sleep has never tasted better. Just mix Beam Dream into hot water or milk, stir or froth, and enjoy before bedtime. So if you find yourself battling the bedtime blues, give it a shot. Your weary self will thank you, and you'll wake up ready to tackle whatever challenges the day may throw your way. Try Beam's best-selling dream powder and take advantage of their biggest sale of the year. Get up to 50% off for a limited time when you go to shop beam.com slash Claven. The discount is auto-applied at checkout. No code is necessary. That's shop, B-E-A-M.com slash Claven for up to 50% off. I know what you're asking. You're asking, how do you spell shop? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. Chapter two, Jews in the news. There was a huge demonstration, pro-Israel demonstration of Jews in Washington, D.C. Someone asked me if I was going to go. A friend of mine texted me and said, are you going to be there? And I was so exhausted from traveling. I'd been traveling and traveling. I was just absolutely wiped out. And I said, no, I'm going to stay home, but I'm going to feel guilty. So I have like, you know, a communion with Jews because Jews are famous for their Jewish guilt. So I'll feel guilty. And she said, well, guilt is good. And I said, it must be because God made so much of it. Uh, but, but it was a beautiful demonstration. Uh, they're saying it may have been as many as 300,000 people. Huge. And of course, the press underplayed it, but it was wonderful. It was wonderful to see, I, I have to say this, it was wonderful to see Hakeem Jeffries and Mike Johnson standing together, Chuck Schumer and right-wingers standing together, because in the same way that evil doesn't care about left or right, you know, the left is embroiled in an evil ideology, wokeness. But that's because they have all the power. They have all the cultural power. And when you get the power... The, the evil is very tempting. If we had all the power, if we ran the media, and the conservatives have run the media, then most of the evil would be coming from us, but it's coming from them because they have the power. But the peacefulness of the rally, the patriotism, the moral clarity of people speaking very clearly about what was right and what was wrong. Well, let's listen to Hakeem Jeffries. This is kind of a historic occasion on which he actually says things I agree with. We are here, more than 100,000 people strong, to unequivocally declare never again. Never again. Never again. The state of Israel must always exist as a safe haven for the Jewish people. 
And so we stand together with the Jewish community in Israel. We stand together with the Jewish community in America. We stand together with the Jewish community all throughout the world. We stand together in the effort to crush anti-Semitism. We stand together in the effort to crush anti-Jewish hate. We stand together in the effort to bring home the hostages. We stand together in the effort to make sure that America will always be a safe space for the Jewish community in every single zip code. See, and to see him standing next to uh, Mike Johnson, who's obviously one of the most conservative members of the House, uh, now the Speaker of the House, of course, just to me, this is a a lot more of what America should be like. I just thought that it was a beautiful demonstration. And, and, uh, you know, these are very sneaky Jews. These sneaky Jews are trying to make their enemies look bad by being better people than they are. Because let's compare them to the pro-Hamas people who have burned flags, burned American flags, who have stormed police stations, uh, stormed the DNC. Here is a girl storming the DNC. And listen to the lack of moral clarity, which is what we're going to be talking about. Do all leftist women think that if they scream vague generalities, vague moral generalities and gesticulate that that sound profound or something like that? I I, I feel so bad for leftist men. I mean, is that that what I woke up to in the morning? Man, I I would come in here with a bullet in my head one day. But, but, you know, listen to this guy in London. Listen to the clarity of this guy in London. I love this guy. I want this guy to come here and run for president. I, I have no idea who he is, but he's out there talking to women who are protesting for Gaza and, and just making some incredibly specific salient points as opposed to that woman. I just have to play this because I loved it so much. Uh, cut six. These women here go to Gaza. You want to go talk in Gaza? These women, they can't talk in Gaza. It's a joke. It's a joke. It's become fashion. It's fashion. It's fashion, this bullshit. It's fashionable. Yes. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, does it? How many bombs France in Syria, here, London. All, all it is is an excuse to hate Jews. It's us. The problem's us, isn't it? It's us. You think tomorrow, if there was no Israel, this problem would be solved? They f- kill each other. What a genocide. We're the worst that we're the worst that committed genocide. The f- population has tripled in the last ten f- years. Genocide. These people are they're f- idiots. They're idiots blind. Blind by hate. <laughs> I love it. I love the idea. We're, we're so bad at committing genocide, they keep multiplying, which is absolutely true. All right. So let's let's look for a moment at what is happening over there. There's people calling for ceasefire, uh, which is calling for the death of Israel, the extermination of Israel. Uh, now, 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 the thing is, Hamas, we had a ceasefire. Hamas violated the ceasefire, started a war with Israel. It, committing absolute mind, mind-boggling atrocities, knowing that idiots like that pro-Hamas woman would accept their narrative that somehow there's some sophisticated, complex moral equivalence between Hamas and Israel. You know, somebody, you know, and, and oh, children, children died here and, you know, children will die there and this number of people died here and this number of people died here. Someone asked me online, uh, if a terrorist is hiding behind two children, do you kill the children to get to the terrorist? Well, that's not the, the equation. The equation is this, the terrorist if he lives, will kill 50 or 100 children. We know this because he already has, and we know he'll kill more. So that's the equation you're looking at. That's why you're at war to begin with. They will kill hundreds more children if they live. So the two children that they are hiding behind, and they are hiding behind civilians, the two children, you have, because you're a decent Israeli people, you have to do everything you can to save those children and keep from harming them, and you have to make sure that terrorist dies. He is evil. He will kill many, many more children if he gets away. You have to make sure he dies. 
The nature of things is obvious to us. If you've ever been to Israel, if you've ever spoken to the Israelis, they live in a democratic state. They live in a place where women have rights. They live in a place where Muslims and Christians go without being persecuted, where they have rights, where they can worship as they want. When it's time for the prayers, the Muslim prayers, people on the street, cat taxi drivers throw their mats down and start praying on the street. No one bothers them. Nothing like that happens. Muslims have served in the highest levels of the Israeli government. So you know, and you, and we also know that the people in Hamas, something like 70% of the people in, in Gaza support the people of Hamas who incinerate babies, who rape women to death, who desecrate their bodies in, in Gaza while nobody does anything about it, who brag about these horrific, horrific things they do. We know the nature of these things. And yet, And yet the BBC was capable of looking at a Reuters report and making the the following report about it. We are hearing from Reuters that is reporting that Israel, it says its forces are carrying out an operation against Hamas in Gaza's Al-Shifa hospital. And they are targeting people, including medical teams, as well as Arab speakers. Uh, They are also saying that Israel is calling on all Hamas operatives in the hospital to surrender at this point. <laughs> killing. Now, they apologized for this and they said, oh, we misread it. But how do you miss, unless you, like the guy said, you're blinded by hate. How do you misread that? How do you not know that the Israelis don't do that? They do everything to not do that. If you visit Israel, when you open the papers and read the editorials, you can't believe the level of ethical thinking. I wish the New York Times, I wish the Wall Street Journal had a kind of ethical thinking that you get in an Israeli newspaper. The It was so ridiculous that um, a, a satire show in Israel uh, that I can't pronounce the name of it, but it's, a, it's their big satire show, did an imitation of the BBC. Here it is. Good evening from London. 39 days after Hamas freedom fighters peacefully attacked Israel, we have now an exclusive interview with its leader, Yihye Sinwar. <laughs> yes. Uh, good evening, Rachel. Good e- Let me just uh, correct you. Oh. There were also freedom rapists and freedom butchers. Of course, of course, I apologize. Yeah, there are freedom, freedom fighters, freedom... You know, I don't know if you remember, my friend Bruce Fierstein wrote the, a couple of James Bond films, and one of them has the line where somebody says, one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter, and James Bond says he's not a freedom fighter if he's not fighting for freedom. Hamas is declared... Their declaration is not to fight for freedom. They want everyone to be a Muslim, and they want all the Jews dead. That's what they're fighting for. That is their goal. This is war. They started a war. War is a word with a meaning. I hate war. I would avoid war all the time, every time, but you can't. You just can't. That's not the human condition. This is where we are. In 1941, the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. They killed about 2,400 people. Show the picture of Berlin. This is what Berlin looked like when we were through answering the attack on Pearl Harbor by the Japanese. It's 15. It's on the slate. There it is. It's in rubble. If you're not, if you're listening, it's just rubble. A civilian city of Berlin. It's the capital, but we also bombed Dresden. We also bombed Hiroshima. We also bombed Nagasaki. Now that crazy DNC lady could be screaming, Berlin, it's not even the capital of Japan. We leveled two civilizations to the ground because they killed 2,400 people in Pearl Harbor. In Israel, Hamas murdered, and murdered is even a polite word. They tortured, they raped, they dismembered, they desecrated, they kidnapped 1,200 people. That is, is, I'm an English major. This is my math, so maybe it's wrong, but I figured out it was 75 times percentage-wise the number of deaths in Pearl Harbor. There is no proportionality. There is no mercy. There is no ceasefire. This is war. Just And just like America's enemies in World War II, just like them, these were not attacks meant to establish a negotiation. These are attacks of terror and conquest. They were meant to get stupid idiots like the pro-Hamas protesters, the left-wing pro-Hamas protesters, the queers for Palestine who'd be killed for being queer, the women for Palestine who'd be dressed up like the ghosts of Christmas yet to come, and be, the women in Palestine in Gaza are beaten regularly, are abused regularly. They have no real rights. That's what they want. That is what they're fighting for. 
and the Israelis are fighting for something different. They're fighting to be left alone. There's no two-state solution with people who want to exterminate your state. There's no ceasefire. There's only victory. That's why we bombed those places. The British constant, when I lived in England, the British constantly teased me about Americans showing up late for World War II. You showed up late for World War II. And I used to say, well, you guys have been killing each other for 2,000 years. How would we to know this was the big one, right? But the war, but this war is more dangerous to Israel than World War II was to us. Hitler only wanted to enslave us. These people want to exterminate this country. They have to be killed. That is the, there is no moral complexity about this. There is no moral complexity. And I want to say to all the people, by the way, I don't want to deal with anything that's happening at the Daily Wire, but I want to say to all people who write to me uh, with anti-Semitic remarks about Ben Shapiro and who suggest that Ben Shapiro can buy my opinion or buy Matt Walsh's opinion or buy Michael Knowles's opinion or would try I want to just say to you, with all, with all charity and all due respect, get bent. You are ignorant fools. You do not know how this place operates. If you were half the man, Ben, is you could climb out from under the rock you live under and look at the light of day, but don't do it now. You would just embarrass yourselves. This is war. That's what the word war means. Who can believe that Thanksgiving is less than a week away, just in time for the holidays? Genucel is offering their best sale of the year. Right now, you can get 70% off Genucel's most popular package, which includes Genucel 3, their newest under-eye treatment. Genucel 3 will have you looking 10, 15, or even 20 years younger. It uses advanced technology to deliver complex vitamins and minerals directly to your face for instant hydration. Say goodbye to fine lines, crow's feet, under-eye bags, and dark spots. The Genucel experience is like no other, but don't just take my word for it. Genucel will have you looking and feeling your absolute best guaranteed or your money back, no questions asked. My producer, Danny, was able to meet George, who was the CEO of Genucel last week. Who cares about Danny? I met George. He's a wonderful guy. And our favorite thing about Genucel is how clean their products are. They are simply the best. You deserve to look and feel your best this holiday season. Go to genucel.com slash Clavin to get this incredible holiday discount for 70% off their most popular package, which includes the Genucel 3 and the Dark Spot Corrector. Get results in 12 hours or less. The immediate effects are included for free. Genucel.com slash Clavin for 70% off today, plus free priority shipping. That's Genucel.com slash Clavin today. But you must, you absolutely must know how to spell Clavin. And by the way, there are no E's in Clavin. I just make it look this easy. There are no E's in Clavin. Chapter 3, Chinatown, China Land. Another word whose meaning we should remember is the word man, meaning mankind, meaning men and women. Because that in order to understand what one should do in any given situation, one has to understand what something is for, as C.S. Lewis would say. We have to understand what a man is, what a person is, and what a person is for. Now, because I, I believe that this is a war, and I think that Israel— just to put it as bluntly, I don't want to get, you know, I don't want to confuse Barack Obama by being too simple. You know, I know he's a complex, deep, nuanced guy. Israel are the good guys. Hamas are the bad guys, okay? I'm, I'm rooting for Israel. That doesn't mean it's our war. That doesn't mean that you can't have different ideas about how America should react in that situation. As I said before, I'm not America first. I'm America only. This is the only country whose welfare concerns me. This is my country. I love it like my mother. It is my mother country. And this is, you know, what I, what I think about. So I can understand somebody saying, well, yeah, I'm rooting for Israel, uh, but, you know, I, we don't we shouldn't be involved. My feeling about this is we, it's not our war. But it is our friends' war, and we don't have that many friends. We don't have that many real friends, and Israel is a good friend. And people say, well, Israel spied on us, or they did this or that. Israel is its own country. It's out for its own good. Britain spies on us. We spy on them. We spy on Israel. You know, this is part of the, the reality of the human community. But, but still, it's our friend, and we should help them. We should basically make sure that they don't get mobbed. We should make sure that they don't get overrun. We should make sure that Iran doesn't come after them, and all, and all those things while they do what they have to do. But no, do I think we should be over there fighting? No, I do not. I don't think so. You know, foreign policy is really interesting because foreign policy is a matter of words. And a lot of times, politicians, for good reasons, oddly enough, can't say what they mean. You know, because foreign policy is not a clean business. It's sometimes we have to do some bad things or even some questionable things to, to do what is good, to do what is best. So we sometimes don't have, we're sometimes not talking about the words we 
about the real words that describe the situation. And this is a problem in commentary, too. I listen to a lot of commentary about foreign policy, and I think these people don't know what we're talking about. Ukraine, just a good example. I'm going a little bit of a tangent, but it's actually important. We didn't go into Ukraine for the Ukrainians. We do not care about the Ukrainians. You know, all those people who put up the flags and the Ukrainian flags, they couldn't find Ukraine on a map. We are not there because the decent, lovely, freedom-loving people of Ukraine, it's a corrupt country. You know, what did they just cancel one of the elections, the next election? (laughs) These are not our pals. We went in because it served American interests, which are the interests of the good guys, because we are the good guys. It served American interests to humiliate and weaken Vladimir Putin. And I actually approve of that. He is an evil person. He is a bully and he's a tyrant. And he is teaming up with China to take over the world. That's one of the things that China and Iran to take over the world. And the reason Chinese President Xi Jinping is suddenly visiting us, partly it's because his economy is tanking, but partly it re- he realizes that his his partner, Vladimir Putin, has been utterly humiliated and utterly exposed as a paper tiger. And I think that actually was worth the money. Now, we're not, Ukraine's not going to win this war, right? We, the politicians can't come out and say, hooray, what we have to do, wave your Ukrainian flags, we're going to send, uh, you know, arms to Ukraine to humiliate Putin, and when we're done, we'll stab the Ukrainians in the back and withdraw our support because screw them. But that's really what they're doing and what they are going to do. You know, I'm sure they are on the phone with them now saying, uh, guess what, uh, you're about to be fighting with sticks, so, so you might want to make a deal with Putin because we've already accomplished our mission. I actually, this is the one thing I think the Biden administration has done where they were probably right. They, you know, but they don't say it. They don't come out and say, you know, uh, yeah, we have to humiliate Putin, make uh, Xi Jinping a little worried about his partner there so he doesn't go into Taiwan necessarily. Uh, You know, those are those are good foreign policy goals, but nobody says it. The problem we have in our culture, though, the problem we have in our culture is that we don't trust our leaders because they're untrustworthy. They lie to us. And when they lie to us about the little things, we can't excuse them for lying about things like Ukraine. You know, I understand that they lie. I understand that people will not wave the flag and say, yes, let's go, you know, fight. If they come out and say, yeah, we're going to humiliate Putin and then we're going to screw the Ukrainians because that is what we're going to do. It's exactly what we're going to do. And it's what we should do. It's the right thing to do. It actually helps the world. It's the world, right, uh, the world, the right thing for the world situation. But we don't trust our leaders because they suck. They suck and they treat us badly and they hate us and they hate America. And they hate America because they no longer understand what the word man means. Let me show you this. this Xi Jinping comes to America, arrives in San Francisco, where there's a big Chinatown. And I guess he, you know, he wanted to see what, uh, you know, uh, cashew chicken tasted like. And he wa- he's going to meet with President Houseplant. And they had a negotiation. Not much came of it. I'm not even going to talk about what came of it. Not much of it. But they arrived there, and the streets of San Francisco, once the most beautiful city in America, now an absolute hellhole, filthy, disgusting hellhole, are suddenly absolutely clean. No crime, no homeless. Bang! It's gone. It looks like San Francisco again. And Governor Newsom, who's now the governor of California, but used to be the mayor of San Francisco, uh, explains why that is. Cuts up. Folks say, oh, they're just cleaning up this place because all those fancy leaders are coming into town. Um, That's true, because it's true. Anytime you put on an event, by definition, you know, you have people over your house, you're going to clean up the house. The 21 world leaders, you've got tens of thousands of people coming from all uh, around the globe. Uh, What an opportunity to showcase the world's most extraordinary place, San Francisco. Now, I live in a house, and yes, when people come over, I, you know, my wife tidies up the house while I watch, uh, but but I don't live in a pig pen. I pick up after myself. We don't live in a sty the rest of the time. You know, you might spruce it up a little bit. You might put up some American flags, which they didn't. The streets were lined with Chinese flags, but there were no American flags. They respect this tyrant, Xi Jinping, and that's what he is, a dictator. They respect him but they don't respect the people they govern. They don't even know what the word govern means. They don't know what govern means. The govern is to make sure things are working, to make sure the city is working. What the hell does he mean you spruce up for, for visitors? Yeah, you spruce up for visitors, but you don't live in a pigsty in the meantime. He doesn't understand what he means, and they hate us. They, they really do. They just despise us because they no longer know what the word man means and what the founders of this country the most brilliant political minds that ever existed, what they were trying to do and why they were trying to do it, okay? If you see, you look at these streets and you see these Chinese flags and you see zero American flags out there and you think like, 
aren't they, aren't they proud? Shouldn't they be showing Xi Jinping how proud they are? I mean, they're trying to talk this guy out. The guy saw us, you know, run like dogs out of Afghanistan. He's got to be thinking, he's meeting Joe Biden. So he's got to be thinking, oh, this man is actually dead. I can go into Taiwan. Nobody's going to stop me. Don't they want to show us, show some pride, some glory? No, they don't. In fact, when senile Joe reiterated his opinion that she is a dictator, he said he was a dictator. So the press asked, "Is what I, I love this. Uh, if you can't watch this, go find it online. Just put in Anthony Blinken uh, and, you know, Xi Jinping or whatever. This, this is he's asked the question, is he a dictator? And this is what Joe Biden says. Mr. President, after today, would you still refer to President Xi as a dictator? This is a term uh, that you used earlier this year. Well, look, he is. I mean, he's a dictator in the sense that he, he is a guy who runs a country that is a communist country that is based on Yeah, he is a dictator. That's what he is, because he's too senile to lie. Blinken just looks like he's been punched in the gut. He's thinking, oh, what am I going to do? Please get me a president who knows how to lie. (laughs) The problem with these guys is not that they're, you know, looking weak to China. It's that they are China. They actually respect Xi Jinping and what he's doing more than they respect us. Here is a Daily Wire exclusive story from Spencer Lindquist. Leaked NSA doc reveals massive woke glossary pushing critical race theory, gender ideology at Intel Agency. Okay, this is the National Security Agency, which is responsible for monitoring threats both foreign and domestic for the U.S. military. Assumed a new responsibility under the Biden administration, creating a massive glossary of woke terms for employees, ranging from anti-racist to the gender-neutral pronouns Z and Zer. So they're teaching our spies this stuff. The agency, which has been sharply criticized for its mass surveillance operations on American citizens, goes beyond openly endorsing the extreme tenets of critical race theory with its glossary. It pushes queer theory as an approach that critically deconstructs and challenges binaries such as male and female or heterosexual and homosexual. Now, you know, in China, they have this social, uh, you know, uh, social credit system where if you don't love the Communist Party, you don't you do anything that embarrasses the Communist Party, it's hard to get your kids into school, it's hard to earn a living, it's hard to have a job. They're, they're monitoring you all the time. And now they have this, our spy agency to learning all this woke technology and this woke, this woke terminology and this woke ideology. And what do you think they're going to be doing? We already know they're spying on us. We already know that they are collecting data on us. So basically, they are not looking at us and thinking, oh, this is a person who should be free, who should think what he thinks and have his own opinions. They are beginning to think, no, these are people who need to be told what to think and they're going to think what we tell them. And it's not going to be anything that resembles human life because there only are two sexes. There are two sexes and you can't change them. There's a man and there's a woman. That's all there is. There is no science. There is no science that says anything else and lying about it and censoring us on YouTube isn't going to change it one little bit. Okay, that's the truth. So they want us to lie and they want to force us to lie. And if you don't think that's true, listen to Kathy uh, Hochul, the governor of New York. She's got a new plan for uh, social media. We're very focused on the data we're collecting from surveillance efforts. We have launched an effort to be able to counter some of the negativity and reach out to people when we see hate speech being spoken about on on online platforms. Our social media analysis unit has ramped up its monitoring of sites to catch incitement to violence, direct threats to others. Well, incitement to violence and direct threats to others are actually against the law. But hate speech, which is what I just said, that a man can't become a woman and a woman can't become a man, which is just the truth, that's going to be, of course, we know that's going to be hate speech too, because they already do that in England. The police show up. It's very intimidating. The police show up and ask you what you meant. Now, hopefully, this is going to be struck down by the First Amendment. But Nikki Haley was talking like this too. Well, let's just hear what what she said on uh, Fox. When I get into office, the first thing we have to do, social media accounts, Social media companies, they have to show America their algorithms. Let us see why they're pushing what they're pushing. The second thing is every person on social media should be verified by their name. That's, first of all, it's a national security threat. When you do that, all of a sudden people have to stand by what they say. And it gets rid of the Russian bots, the Iranian bots, and the Chinese bots. And then you're going to get some civility. 
Now, just to be accurate, she later walked it back and said she was only talking about foreign people. This is why Nikki Haley isn't going to win anything. I, I don't care how hard they try to make her think. She's not going anywhere. If, they, if she wins the nomination, she might even lose. I, I'm not sure anybody can lose against Biden if he's the guy. Anyway, that's the future. Right now, this is why I don't think she's going to win anything. The problem we have on social media is censorship of the government by people. The the problem we have is not anonymous people. I'm not in big favor of being anonymous, but I understand some people are in much more danger than I am of losing their jobs, of losing their position, of being canceled, of being destroyed. I I, I get it. I do understand it. You know, I, I, I wish we were all brave and took the hit, but that's easy for me to say. But the problem we have is the government censoring us, our speech on social media. You know, I'm going to talk in the uh, member block about this thing about bin Laden, all the kids thinking that bin Laden's letter to America, which curses America, was a great idea. And everybody's saying, well, they saw this on TikTok. They, this is, we got to do something about TikTok. We got to do something about social media. It's on TikTok. I thought, wait a minute. These kids wouldn't believe it if they hadn't learned it in school. The call is coming from inside the house. It's not, that's not our problem. Yes, TikTok is a problem. Yes, we should get rid of TikTok. But that's not our problem. Our problem is the the ideology of our leaders, of our government, of our clerisy, teaching people that America is the bad guys, not putting out flags when the leader of our chief rival comes to visit. This is the problem. And if Nikki Haley doesn't see it, and if Kathy Hochul is an example of the problem, they are not the people we want to lead us. These people, these governors have forgotten who they are, and they've forgotten who we are. We are free men and women. And this is a faith problem. This is a faith problem. If we lose the idea, the idea that we are free men and women comes from the idea that we're made in the image of God and that we are have natural rights. Now, the philosopher Yuval Harari, who they love in uh, in Switzerland, you know, that, that uh, World Economic Forum, they love Yuval Harari. He says, it's just a fiction. Natural rights are a fiction. You can't, where do, where do you find him? You open up a person, you don't find any rights. He said that. You, you, if you cut a person open, he has no rights inside. Where do you find them? You find them by knowing that a person is more than what's inside him when you cut him open. He is something else. He is a thing made in the image of God. When you lose that faith, when you lose that idea, the word man in, as in mankind, ceases to mean anything. It becomes alienated from what it really is. And so how do these people, these people are thinking, well, you know, I, I just have to control their minds and then the world is going to be a better place. If I say, you know, there's uh, Islamophobia, then that will be an actual thing. If I say a man can become a woman, yes, ping, it will suddenly be true. Because they've lost all sense of reality, all sense that language describes something that we all know. What is a woman? I can't define it, but I know it when I see it, and I know it when I inter- interact with it. We all know what a woman is. We all know what evil is. We know it when we saw what happened in Israel. We all know what war is. We know it because we've lived through it, and we've seen it a, a dozen times, even in a single lifetime. We know what these words mean, but they want us to forget. They want us to forget because they have lost their faith and they think if they can change the language, if they can change the story, if they can change the narrative, they will have changed the world but they have changed nothing. The holidays are finally here. I'm sure you're excited about spending time with the people you love. The last thing you need is to get sick and miss out on all those memories. Thanks to my friends at Contingency Medical, you are covered for any situation. Contingency Medical provides emergency antibiotic kits to keep you protected against common infections and symptoms. They offer several different packs so you can choose one to match your lifestyle, whether that's traveling or just keeping some antibiotics nearby in the event of a supply chain disruption or antibiotic shortage. Not sure which option is best for you? Check out the GoPack. It's specifically designed to fit inside your carry-on luggage. The GoPack includes antibiotics to cure common infections infections, as well as medicine to treat symptoms that might otherwise ruin your trip. Each pack also includes access to the prescribing physician for guidance on the safe and effective use of the medicines, as well as a booklet that outlines each infection and the proper course of treatment to get you back to your best. Don't wait. Go to contingencymedical.com slash Clavin now and enter promo code Clavin for $20 off your pack. That's $20 off any pack at contingencymedical.com slash Clavin with promo code Clavin. Contingency Medical and its products are not intended as a substitute for professional medical treatment or advice. Consult with your healthcare provider and learn how to spell Clavin. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no easy 
final chapter, the great good news. So the situation is we've lost the meaning of important words, most important, the meaning of what a man is, what mankind is, because we've lost our faith in God. And this has been happening for a long time. But that doesn't mean that it has to happen. It has to come to the conclusion where we lose our faith in God. That doesn't mean that the trajectory of the last 500 years is the only trajectory that man has. I don't believe this is a permanent thing. I think it's a phase that mankind had to go through. It had to pass through in order to become scientific, technological, and uh, advanced. I think we had to, we wanted to learn these things. It's good that we learned these things. We should have thought better about them as we went along, but human beings don't do that. They made it seem like the Bible wasn't true. That's not true. They will now, as, as science moves on and gets away from this kind of clockwork universe that Newton gave us and gets into the, the real mystery of things, I believe that the Bible will start to make perfect sense again. I believe it already does, actually, if we know the science instead of the science that people are telling us. So before I send you off into the Clavenless Thanksgiving to give you something that to be thankful for, let me tell you what I think was actually the biggest news of the week. If you were reading a newspaper in ancient Rome, right, you're sitting in ancient Rome and you're turning, I guess the paper would be made of papyrus or whatever, stone or something like that. You're turning and you're reading about Caesar is doing this and the Gauls are doing that and the, you know, uh, illegal immigrants are coming in and there's shenanigans at the, uh, in the empire. The most important thing that was happening, the execution of a carpenter preacher in uh, Judea would not be in the newspaper at all. It would be nothing. It would be an absolute blip. If it was there at all, it would be on page C-17, a little box. You would not know the most important thing that was happening. The most important thing that happened last week got some press, but not much. Uh, and we should really re recognize it. It's that I and Hersia Lee announced she had become a Christian. This is a major deal. It is a major deal. Now, as you may know, I've been predicting for years that there was going to be a revival of faith, and it was not going to be like revivals in the past that came up from the bottom, uh, from the streets and from the preachers. It was, come, it was going to come from the intellectual classes. If you don't know Ayan Hersia Lee, you should get to know her. She is a incredible, uh, incredibly heroic woman. I've met her once. She's incredibly beautiful, uh, courageous woman, a Somalian Muslim. She was mutilated as a young girl. She was inculcated into Islamism, into the Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, she was just, you know, taught all the things that Islamists are taught. She finally renounced her religion, fought against, uh, moved to, um, to Holland, uh, fought against genital mutilation, brought out the fact that in Holland with the, its Muslim population, there was honor killing and forced marriage, and she became a target for death. Her artistic collaborator, Theo Van Gogh, who is a descendant of the artist, famous brother Theo, uh, who Van Gogh wrote all his letters to. He and Ali made a film about Islam called Submission, and Van Gogh was murdered uh, by a Muslim. He was virtually beheaded. His last words, as I recall them, I'm recalling from memory, were something like, can't we talk about this? So he wanted a ceasefire and to negotiate, but no, he, the guy was virtually beheaded, and she had to go into hiding. Uh, and in one of the most cowardly moments I have ever seen in Western history, possibly, the Dutch said, oh, if she would just go away, this problem will stop. I guess they know now that is that isn't true. She came to America, and if ever a woman had earned the right to give up religion and reject religion, it was she. I mean, religion had done nothing but torment her. She did. She became one of the new atheists, hanging out with Christopher Hitchens and Richard Dawkins, and that lot of very charming, intelligent people. And now that group has been replaced by something that I wrote about a at least a decade ago. They're now calling them the new atheists, the new agnostics. Uh, these are people who say, well, we need Christianity, but I don't really believe in it. We have to have Christianity. I mean, people I love say these things. Uh, you know, they don't quite embrace it, but they, they know it's important. But her CLE has gone beyond that. She put out a statement. I want to read as much of it as I can. Uh, she says, part of the reason I did this is global. Western civilization is under threat from three different but related forces. The resurgence of great power authoritarianism and expansionism in the forms of the Chinese Communist Party and Vladimir Putin's Russia. The rise of global Islamism, which threatens to mobilize a vast population against the West. And the viral spread of woke ideology, which is eating into the moral fiber of the next generation. We can't fight off these formidable forces unless we can answer the question, what is it that unites us in the response 
the response that God is dead seems insufficient. Yet, and so she says, this is what we need to uphold our traditions. She says, yet I would not be truthful if I attributed my embrace of Christianity solely to the realization that atheism is too weak and divisive a doctrine to fortify against us, us against our menacing foes. I have also turned to Christianity because I ultimately found life without any spiritual solace unendurable. And she says, of course, I still have a great tune to learn. Uh, I discover a little more Churchy Sunday. Now, this is huge news. It really is. And uh, I know some of you will say, oh, that's those are not good reasons, and you don't know about this, and you don't embrace this, and you haven't said that. She has stepped into faith, and in faith, believing is seeing. Uh, this is why Faith is a virtue. This is why Genesis says that Abraham believed in, believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness. This is why the New Testament says that you are saved by faith in God. Our lives are acts of creation. When you look at a sunset, when you look at the clouds, when you look at your spouse, they exist the way you see them and no one has ever seen them before and experienced them before the way you do. There's another way to see them is just atoms, just energy floating around, all kinds of different things, but you see them, humans see them in a certain way because we are made a certain way by our creator in his image. When you see them, they happen inside you. Thing, the sunset happens inside you. Your spouse occurs and lives inside you in your mind. That is what happens when you believe something. Believing is seeing. Believing is seeing. There's a reality out there, but it's uniquely experienced by you. And when you believe in it, it becomes part of you. And when you believe it, if it's wrong, if it's a false thing to believe, it will lead you step by step into darkness and misery. And the godless world, which is where we're living right now, is a false something, and it does lead us to this present darkness. But if I and Hersey Ali, who is so tormented and threatened in the name of God, can still find faith, then there's reason to believe that there is no darkness dark enough to hide the light. The light will come back. Have faith, rejoice evermore, and have a wonderful Thanksgiving. With next week being Thanksgiving, I wanted to show gratitude for some of the people on my team. Not Danny. Just skip over the Danny part. Lisa. Lisa books the best guest. Finn, who laughs at my jokes. It takes a team of people to... Oh, Danny's all right, too. It takes a team of people to make the show successful, just like it takes a solid team to make any business successful. So if you're hiring, you need ZipRecruiter to find the best people for your team. And right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Clavin. ZipRecruiter uses smart technology to scan thousands of resumes to find the most qualified people for your job. ZipRecruiter lets the most qualified people for your job know they are a great match for it. It encourages them to apply. ZipRecruiter is trusted by millions. In fact, over 3.8 million businesses have come to ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. See why so many business owners and hiring managers are thankful for ZipRecruiter. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. I'd be super grateful if you could go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free, ZipRecruiter.com slash Clavin. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash Clavin. You have to know how to spell Clavin. It's K-L-A-V-A-N because ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. Black Friday is coming. That's actually not a bad thing. The Daily Wire has the best deals around starting Monday. Get 50% off a Daily Wire Plus membership and all kinds of amazing deals on Jeremy's Razors products and tons of merch from our Daily Wire shop. There's something for everyone. Go to dailywire.com slash Black Friday and get the full guide to all of our Black Friday deals. And don't forget to tune in all next week to find out more. Remember, these deals start on Monday and run through Cyber Monday, but we will sell out fast. Don't wait. Get the guide and start checking off your holiday shopping list. One more time, go to dailywire.com slash Black Friday for the best deals of the year. Clavin Clapbacks. China, 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 China. Yeah! <laughs> that made no sense, but there it is. Uh, from Elliot, Lord Clavenon of the most male, pale, and stale variety, how is it you do not like what a wonderful world? Is it not simply a song celebrated and rejoicing in God's wonderful creation? Uh, you know, I am not a man without sentiment, and I, I like to think that I'm a, a loving person, but I am not a person who is sentimental and... 
that song, although when Louis Armstrong, anything Louis Armstrong sings is always better than it should be. But, you know, I just think, you know, I see fields of blue and rainbows too. And all, that, and all I think is like, I see war and murder and molestation and divorces destroying children. You know, I mean, like, it's not that wonderful a world. It can be a pretty dark place. And I love that one line. I see friends shaking hands saying, how do you do? They're really saying, I love you. And I love that line because that is true sentiment. That is an actual true statement. The rest just seems a little bit twee to me. It seems a little bit cute. Uh, from Max, good day to you, Clavin. I'm thoroughly confused that you always talk about how this country needs revolution, but as soon as a candidate starts talking about radical change in this country, you fail to bring any accolades. I'm confused why you have not acknowledged this about Vivek Ramaswamy. First, Never have I called for revolution. You know, you say you want a revolution, uh, but you know that we all want to change the world. Uh, you know, I, what I have said repeatedly about revolution is that 99.9% of the time it results in tyranny and bloodshed, and it's awful. And the American Revolution is is the exception because it's not really a revolution. It was really a kind of a civil war where we broke away from Britain in order to become our own English people. That's what it was for. Uh, so I don't say that. And I think Ramaswamy's a fake. I, I, I mean, I, I like his rhetoric. I think he's a good rhetorician, uh, but um, I, I just think he's a fake. I think he's, you know, in his business, he does a lot of, you know, woke stuff. And I, you know, I, I think he's running for vice president. I think he's running to block DeSantis, and then place himself to become Trump's vice president. Um, so I'm, I'm just not that impressed with him, except the way he speaks. And I've always praised him for the things that he said that I thought were good. From Stephen, uh, dear Clavin, the Jenkinsiest of the Leroy's. <laughs> I don't know. Leroy Jenkins just continually cracks me up. Twice now I have heard you make reference to Leroy Jenkins. A key part of the story behind Leroy Jenkins, this is that video game, right, where the guy goes charging in while the other guys are strategizing, is that he died and caused all his teams to lose the battle. I find that the con that context makes the whole charge in, in all the funnier because he has all the confidence of a berserker only to be quickly slaughtered. It's an important context to keep in mind. That is funny. Um, from Matt, dear Clavin, Lord of the Multiverse, Dispeller of the Clavenless Week, I wanted to know, uh, this is a long one, but your, what your feelings are on IVF in vitro fertilization. I know the other DW hosts, especially my fellow Catholics, view it as always immoral. Thank you for meeting my wife and I at the Mysterious Bookshop and signing our copy of The House of Love and Death. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I'm pretty familiar with Catholic doctrine on this. I'm, I don't share the Catholics' absolute, uh, absolute rejection of creating a baby outside of sex, what they would call the act of, of love. Uh, I understand why that's dangerous, and I understand why we should be very careful about that. But if it's a husband and wife and they love each other, the problem I do have, the moral problem I do have, is killing all the embryos that you don't use because that's essentially an abortion. In this letter, the longer version of this letter, they say that they are not doing that. They have come up with, they have three, I think, surviving embryos, and they implanted one, and the other two will be implanted eventually. I, you know, I, I don't really have a, a problem with that. Your situation is so specific. You obviously love each other. You wanted a baby. You couldn't have one. You use this, and you're not killing any embryos. Uh, I, I don't really have an objection to that, but I know the Catholic Church has has more, you know, uh, has has higher higher level of thinking objections to me that there's a practical way. I wouldn't have recommended it for everybody, but it, it seems like it, it works for you and you didn't kill anybody to do it. The uh, member block is coming up, so I won't have time to remind you there's no show next week. It's Thanksgiving holiday. I am going on holiday. You are going on holiday, so there won't be stuff. We'll put up stuff. We'll put up fresh stuff, but it won't be the show. So become a member today. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe and use code Claven at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. And that way, your memberless, your memberless, your Clavenless Thanksgiving would not have to start right now.